Thank you. Before we start, did anybody adjust the thermostat? I looked at it, and it appears to be um, set at 74. I don't know why it's still running, but... Oh, 74 is fine. It's just... Yeah. We usually, yesterday, we turned it up to 83 when there's nobody in the room. Oh. <laughs> so uh-huh. I just want to make sure I got turned back down. If you know how to run it. Oh, yeah. I could show you. Well, this is the class number six today. And um, next week is November 15th. The week after that is November 22nd, but it's one day before Thanksgiving. And uh, if you guys don't want to have class the day before Thanksgiving for whatever reason, then we can have the next, the, the eighth class on the 29th. But it's up to you. If, you. if you're willing to come and have class, Jane and I will be here. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll even, I'll ask again next week and we'll take a vote at that time, but be thinking about it. Okay. If you're busy preparing things and you have family, whatever reason, and you don't want to be here, that's fine. And uh, I'm anticipating there will be eight classes, but if I don't get the material finished on the eighth class, I'll have a ninth class, which would be the first Wednesday in December. I won't. I don't think I'm going to go any further than that. And um, But thank you all for your... Uh, Attendance, I, we really appreciate you all being here. The title of today's class is Jesus Completes His Mission. Now it's up to us. Jesus Completes His Mission. Now it's up to us. Scripture number one, John 19. Verses 28 through 37. John 19:28 through37. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, "I thirst." Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, meaning it was during a festival, which was Passover, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And then then another scripture says they shall look on him whom they pierced. One point I want to make about this is that it says they went to the first 
thief on the cross and broke his legs. Then they went to the next one, broke his legs. Then they came to Jesus. But if, as the pictures show in all the paintings and books, he was in the middle. So why would they skip past him and go to the other one? But that comes back to my point that I've made before. I believe that he was literally hung on a tree, not on a crucifixion cross. They carried the cross beam, and then they nailed that to the tree. And so the one thief, another thief, and Jesus could have been around the circumference of the tree, even though from one angle he was in the middle, and it would have been natural for them to go to one, then another, and then come to him. It says, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. And, you know, to assume that that means a crucifixion cross, when it could literally mean a tree, is a wild assumption. And usually when the things are written that way in the Bible, and they're, they're meant to be taken literally. So I believe they were usually literally hung on a tree. But he said it's finished, and he said all... Everything that Scripture said has now been fulfilled. Matthew 28. Let's go there. This is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. After his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus came to them and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me now. Remember... When Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, he offered to give him all the kingdoms of the world if he would bow down and worship Satan. Jesus didn't question that Satan didn't question that Satan had the authority to do that at the time. But now that he led a sin-free life, died as an innocent man on the cross, went down into hell and took back the keys to the grave and death from Satan and rose to sit at the right hand of the Father, he has taken back all authority that he once had on heaven and on earth, but he took back authority as a man. That's why in in some of the Gospels and in some of the previous prophecies, he's referred to as the Son of Man, especially in Mark's Gospel, that features Jesus as the Son of Man more than any of the other Gospels. He have to. He had to come as a man and do these things to take back dominion for us. And then, by wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe and being hung on a tree, he reversed the curse that was against the entire earth itself, as we talked about last week. By casting out demons, healing the sick, and raising the dead, he took back the dominion. And so here's. Well, let's go to Mark chapter 16 first. Mark 16, 
verses 14 through 18. Mark 16, 14 through 18. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What gospel are we preaching? In Matthew 24 and in the Matthew and Luke chapter 4, he said the gospel of the kingdom, not a gospel of salvation, not get your ticket to heaven gospel, but the gospel of the kingdom. Okay. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Personally, I experienced those things with Jane when we were in India, casting out demons, healing the sick, and drinking something deadly, and it didn't hurt me. <laughs> All those things I experienced. <laughs> okay. Let's go to um, Luke chapter 24 now. I'm going to start getting into it. Luke 24, starting in verse 44. Luke 24, 44 through 50. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. We've looked at a lot of those things in previous classes. And he opened their understanding that they may comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it was written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, lifted up his hands and blessed them, and then he was ascended into heaven. Okay, now let's go to John chapter 20. John 20, starting in verse 19. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Why is that in there? It was customary to place the charge for crucifixion over the victim's cross. 
one would expect a charge of sedition or whatever. But Pilate's bitter irony achieved a measure of revenge against those who had entrapped him into a condemnation of Jesus when he believed he was guilty. (laughs) So he put on there the king of the Jews as a slap in the Pharisees' faces. But it was really prophetic. It was a prophetic utterance. This is what he was killed for, being the king of the Jews. Yes, it's John 19 and 20. And then then I went on and to 22. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Okay, now verse 20. Go to John 20 No, That was John 19, I'm sorry. I didn't tell you that. I spoke wrong. John 20, starting in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And he's also saying it to us, to you and me. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. When Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, that's when they were born again. That's when they were born again. I, I believe that that's what he, it's telling us. And um, as the Father has sent me, I also send you, is part of my title for today's class. Now it's up to us. Acts chapter 1. Let's see how this all played out quickly. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The former, now remember that Luke, the gospel writer Luke, the physician who traveled with Paul, also wrote Acts. Same guy. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, it says in verse 3. Infallible proofs, being seen by them, and during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I'm going to be speaking at the... um, service tonight, Wednesday evening at 6.30, and one of the things I'm going to be speaking, teaching about is 
infallible proofs. Infallible proofs. Just to give you a heads up on that. After being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then in 9 through 11, he descended into heaven. <coughs> Chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. <coughs> then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues that the Spirit gave them utterance. In um, Luke 3.16, Luke 3.16, they were questioning John the Baptist, and John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And now we see the disciples and the people in the upper room, 120, being baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire in the form of a flame sitting over each of their heads, a fulfillment of the word that John the Baptist spoke several years before. Jesus' ministry lasted three years. John spoke that about him at the very beginning of it. This happened at the end of it. And that's when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the end of John, they received, they were born again when Jesus breathed on them and opened up the scriptures to them. That happened to me when I was born again. I couldn't read the Bible. I couldn't understand it. It was gibberish to me. But as soon as I was born again, I could read it and understand it perfectly for the first time in my life. Just instantly. <coughs> and then the next part of this is Peter's first great sermon after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot to this, but I'm going to um, read portions of it and skip from place to place because I want you to see something here. But the first part is Acts 2:22 through 24. Acts 2:22 through 24. Men of Israel, hear these words: Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. 
Now jump forward to verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. That's Psalm 110, verse 1. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, or Messiah, the Anointed One. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you, to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 were added to them. 3,000 souls added. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 28, when Moses came down after being on Mount Sinai for 40 days, the Israelites had been impatient. They had uh, coerced Aaron into building a golden calf that they could worship. And um, 3,000 people died that day. Now on this day, 3,000 people, the exact same number, were added. The message there is that the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. <coughs> wow, that's good. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which was called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What was that address? Acts 3, 1 through 8. That was verse 6. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified her servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just 
and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and killed the Prince of Life, who God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses, and in his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So a new thing has been introduced. Now people filled with the Holy Spirit, praying in Jesus' name, are doing the things that Jesus had previously done. And the same is true for us today. Chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Acts chapter 4, I'm going to read 8 through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, but by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. He's quoting scripture. Psalm 118, verse 22. Verse 12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. Chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Starting in verse 12. Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing might fall on some of them. How many know the shadow of Peter has no power at all? It's the anointing that he carried, that being near him, they were, they were getting healed. Okay. It's not a shadow, it's an anointing. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. There's a word in that last verse that my heart cries out for and yearns for. The word all. Mm-hmm. They were all healed. Many times I've been beseeching, imploring, and asking God, let us see the all in our ministry. Yes. I don't want an occasional healing or an occasional person being delivered. I want all people to see this. And I believe it's coming. I believe there's going to be a new outpouring of God's glory and His Holy Spirit that's going to touch true believers and they are going to do exploits much greater than what we've seen so far. Amen. Amen. And uh, I, I would like all of you to be in agreement with that and to be praying for that. Amen. Uh, on a Amen. daily on a daily basis, and, and then and start thanking God for it even before you see it. Mm-hmm. And then when it happens, you can say, "This is that." <laughs> Acts chapter nine. 
is the story of how the Apostle Paul was reborn from Saul of Tarsus, who was a persecutor of Christians and a killer of Christians. But then the Lord touched him, and he was born again. And um, he was blinded during his born-again experience. And then God sent a Christian, a man named Ananias, to lay hands on him and pray for him. And when Ananias touched him, scales fell off his eyes, and he, his sight returned to him. And um, what I wanted to say about that is that the first thing that Saul, who was now Paul, saw when his eyes were opened was the face of this Christian man, Ananias. And his name means literally the grace of God. So the first thing Saul saw when his eyes were opened as a now Christian born-again believer was the grace of God in the face of Ananias. Chapter 9, starting in verse 36. At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did, but it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room, and since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out. Remember, he'd seen Jesus do this to the temple ruler Jairus' daughter. So he did the same thing. He said, the things that you've seen me do, now you go and do. Mm -hmm. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. The same exact words Jesus spoke over that other girl. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive and became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Good. We're talking about how Jesus told us his part is finished, now he's sending us to do the things that Jesus did in the same way he did them as a man or a woman filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. This is Peter's vision. He says, He saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And what happened after that is the Lord said, What God has cleansed you must not call common. Then he gets a messenger from a Gentile, a Roman named Cornelius. He goes to his house and he finds out that these people are, are really um, good people and their focus is on God 
And so in verse 34 of Acts chapter 10, Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. It's a good thing to be accepted by God. Now God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, verse 38, and went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses to all these things. Then down in verse 44, it said, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision, the Jews, who, were, who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And this is a turning point in the history of the kingdom of God that all of you who are Gentile believers can thank God for. Mm. This is how it happened. It was His will. And He prophesied about it. And Isaiah talked about you know, the Gentiles coming to the light that was going to come in the world and Jesus prophesied that there were sheep at a different pasture of a totally different nature that he's going to bring in to his kingdom. So, And uh, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, those new Gentile believers. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that they should not be baptized to have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Great. Now I'm going to skip ahead to Acts 19. There's so much I could comment on in all these chapters, but this is, I have to pick and choose. It's in Acts 19, it says, verse 11, Now God worked unusual, or that could be translated, extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. I believe that some of them were like tallit-like garments that had been on Paul and the anointing on them was so heavy that when they put them on the sick person, they were healed. A quick, a very quick testimony. I was at a meeting and there was a pastor from South America who had who testified that when he was in Argentina they received a message from South Africa which was across the Atlantic Ocean from Argentina that a person there was very sick and on his deathbed and so they all prayed and anointed a sheet of paper and put it in a fax machine and faxed it to South, South Africa and they took the paper out of the fax machine, laid it on the sick person and he recovered immediately. Hallelujah! So the anointing was transferable. Yeah. Now, I taught about the anointing being transferable before back in the book of Exodus when they came to the waters at the springs of Marah after they crossed the Red Sea, which means bitter. The water was bitter, they couldn't drink it. And God told Moses to pick up a tree branch and throw it in the water, and the water became sweet. Well, that was a transference of the anointing that was on Moses to the tree branch that made the water sweet. 
which mm. is the first instance we see of the anointing being transferable like That's that. Good. And this is another instance where the, we see the anointing was transferable through the Apostle Paul into articles of cloth that healed people. Still happening. Thank you, Lord. And finally, Acts 26. Verses 12 through 19. Paul is recounting his Damascus Road experience from Acts chapter 9 in a trial he was testifying in about himself before King Agrippa in Caesarea in in Israel. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, Along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That one verse, verse 18, has six things that describe the gospel of the kingdom. Their eyes were opened to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Memorize that one verse and you can speak the gospel of the kingdom to to anybody. Therefore, King Agrippa, verse 19, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Boy, when I first read this, it just got into me really deeply. Because um, in 2013, when I was the associate rabbi at the seat of Abraham... Jane and I felt the Lord was calling us to leave our ministry, our family, and everything we knew behind and move to Florida. And we asked for confirmation, and we got it. And I remember thinking to myself, therefore, I will not be disobedient to the heavenly vision. I've got to go where God is sending me and trust that he has something for me wherever he sends us. And that's been true wherever we've been, really, but... Anyway, if you have a call from God on your life, which you all do, don't be disobedient to it. Amen. Do not be disobedient to the call of God that he places on you. He said in his Old Testament prophets, I desire obedience more than sacrifice. So, let's get back to those three tracks that the kingdom is running on. First track, man in perfect relationship 
and fellowship with God. Second track, man in domin- having dominion over the earth. Third track, the earth being a perfect environment for man. Jesus came as a man, led a sin-free life, died on the cross, and the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's how he took back dominion and put us in fellowship. That's how he put us back in fellowship with God. He gave us a ministry of reconciliation to help other people become reconciled back to God now that we've been reconciled back to God through faith in him. By casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, he took back dominion from Satan for mankind. And now the apostles, filled with the Holy Spirit, have demonstrated the same thing in the book of Acts. By wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe and being hung on a tree, he became a curse to reverse the curse that was on the land itself and also the curse of the law that was over the Jews who were being oppressed by the legal system and now they were free in Christ. Now believers filled with the Holy Spirit, have to carry on the work of the kingdom. And we're responsible for all three of those tracks. Jesus said, it is finished, now it's up to us. Everybody with me on this? Mm -hmm. Okay. Romans 8. Let's go there. Bruce, I couldn't write that fast enough. I've got the... uh Dominion and the, uh, the perfection of the earth. But what was number one track? Man and perfect fellowship with God. Man and perfect fellowship. Okay. But you have it in previous lessons. Mm-hmm. Well, not nothing true. new. Oh, okay. Well, I knew I remembered it somewhere. I've talked over that point several times. Romans 8, starting in verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. Verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of of corruption 
into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemptions of our bodies. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does still one hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes an intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Now, verse 26 says, The Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. Other verses say Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Two out of three ain't bad. Amen. <laughs> now he, verse 27, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. So, what does all this mean? Why am I reading this? Well, what creation is groaning for, what is yet to be revealed and established, is how the children of God, the born-again believers, are going to actually establish and manifest his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray that way. If it weren't possible, he wouldn't have taught us to pray that. So it must be possible for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says we are ambassadors for Christ. We're the ones who have to carry this message of the kingdom and see it established on earth as it is in heaven. This is, our, this is the great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the earth. Bring the gospel of the kingdom to every place in the world, Jesus said. Romans 12.1 I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God does not have three wills. He has one, and it is at all times good, acceptable, and perfect. There's no layers of God's will that you have to work up to. When you're in God's will, it's good, acceptable, and perfect. You understand? Yeah. I've heard many sermons about, well, first you do the good will of God, and then you do the next level, and then maybe if you're good enough, you'll actually be grown into the perfect will of God. No. God has one will. It's good, acceptable, and perfect. And it happens for us when we're doing obediently what he calls us to do. Verse 4 of Romans 12. 
For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. I'm going to stop there. These gifts that are mentioned in Romans 12 are gifts of the Father himself. They're called motivational gifts. Mm. You're, you're born with certain talents and abilities and with certain motivational gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts that are mentioned there are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's nine of them. And then in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, it says, Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those are ministry offices. Yes, all believers can prophesy at times, but only a few are called to the office of prophet. It's a big difference. Anyway, each member of the Godhead had different gifts for mankind that were given at different times and for different reasons. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So we're called to be saints. It's a calling. Everyone who's born again is called to be a saint. That means set apart for God. You're not a sinner anymore. You're not a grateful, forgiven sinner. You're a saint. Don't say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Say, I used to be a sinner. I was saved by grace. Now I'm a saint. Yes. I like that. Verse 21 of... 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, or Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 26, For you see your calling, brothers and sisters, that not many wise according to the flesh, Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. The reason is that no flesh should glory in his presence, but in him. Of his doing, that means. You are in Christ. Of his doing, of his will, 
You are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So nobody can say, I'm insignificant. God couldn't possibly use me. I did this, I did that, I'm not educated, I'm old, I'm young, I'm weak, I'm whatever. You're not, nothing disqualifies a person from being used by God except their own thoughts and what the devil's trying to do to take them away from their destiny. Right. All he has is lies. That's his only weapon. If he gets you to believe it, you're, then you're under his thumb. And he'll, what, his goal is to take away your destiny, your, your identity in Christ. That's his goal for you. And you have authority to not let that happen. And it's not even difficult. You just have to use it and believe that you have it. Right. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'll read it, the gifts of the Spirit. Starting in verse 4. There are diversities of gifts with the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Verse 4 is talking about the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 is talking about Yeshua, Jesus. And there are diversities of activities, but the same God. That's talking about the Father, who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. If someone says to you, I don't believe in this Trinity nonsense, God can't be three in one, read these verses. Mm-hmm. Diversities of gifts with the same season, differences of ministries with the same Lord, and diversities of activities but the same God. It's talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in three verses. But to one is given the word of wisdom. Here's the, here they are, the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith. To others, gifts of healings, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. We don't get these things because we earn them. We don't get these things because we desire them, although it's good to desire them. But we only get these things because the Spirit wills for us to be used with that gift at that time for that purpose. Mm-hmm. And you may have a gift of miracles and <clears throat> healing for a, for, a, for a meeting or a season, and then it won't be there the next time. Do you have a question? Okay. Skip ahead to verse 23. All the members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. But first, I want to go back to verse 18. But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as He pleased. Remember, we've read in three places says three places that we're all part of the body of Christ. It says it in Romans 12, we just read that. It says it in Ephesians 1 and 2, 
And now it says it here in 1 Corinthians. <coughs> For in fact, in verse 14, the body is not one member, but many. But God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. We don't get to pick and choose what we're going to do for him. We get to be obedient to what he calls us to do. And then in verse 27 it says, Now you are members of the body of Christ, but you're members individually. You're all part of the body, but you're members individually. And that's the gifts of the Spirit. Now there's a new covenant that God has proclaimed. We all know that. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We've heard this so many times during communion that sometimes we take it for granted. But it says in verse 23 of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That cup that he took for that declaration is the cup of redemption in the Passover celebration. And that's what he's talking about, a new covenant in his blood for our redemption. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. But then if you go down to verse 30, it says, for this reason, because people sometimes eat and drink in an unworthy manner, Many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Pastor Gary and others have taught about this. I see no need to teach on it now. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 talking about this new covenant now. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Mm -hmm. Amen? And then in 17... 2 Corinthians three seventeen and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. But we all with unveiled face, not like Moses, with a veil over his face, but with unveiled <coughs> face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So your destiny was to be transformed into the image of Christ. Psalm 17 says, I will be satisfied when I awaken in your likeness. So David saw this seven, eight hundred years before Christ. I will be satisfied when I awaken in your likeness. In my class about how the New Testament is concealed in the old and the old is repealed in the new, these are the kind of things that we pointed out to everybody. 
chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, it says, since we're pressed on every hard pressed on every side and all these other things, we're going through all this tribulation and stuff. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Our mortal body is the outward man that's perishing. Our inward man is our spirit filled with the Holy Spirit of God that's being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are not are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen. Our life on earth is a drop of water. Eternity is the ocean. Don't take everything that's going on here so seriously until you seriously get right with God and are obedient to His call on your life. Amen. The stuff that's in the news, don't take it seriously. Here's what's going on. The people who read the Bible learn the truth. The people who watch the news learn lies and propaganda of the devil. Amen. You choose. Yeah. <laughs> Believe Satan's lies through news media and powers that be, or believe the truth of the Word of God and apply it to your life. That's how the kingdom is going to come on earth as it is in heaven, by believers finally trusting and believing the Word of God, not listening anymore to the stuff that's coming over the airwaves, and taking back our authority and exercising it. Chapter 5 of Second Corinthians. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I've told you before, I'll keep telling it over and over. What's done in the body doesn't mean that just this body on earth, but what we did for our part in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. To fulfill our own individual assignments. To find our that and walk in it. Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 5. I'll start in verse 14 actually. The love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Another version of what Mike Atkins, Pastor Gary, and I have taught here different, in different ways. What was that? What? It's 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Now I'm going to go on to 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Verse 17, 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen. When the devil says, you're this and you're that, and you did this and you did that, you say, get behind me, Satan. I'm a new creation in Christ. All those old things have passed away. I don't need to listen to you. Or you could just say, go to hell. Yeah, amen. There you go. I like that. Sometimes when I am short, that's what I tell them. Yeah. And I'm not ashamed. Right? Verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God the Father was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. (coughs) I, I just have a few more scriptures. And I don't want to, I want to finish this today, please. Be bear with me. You're all doing wonderfully. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Hallelujah. We're heirs. Now let's see what that does for us in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. Therefore I also, Paul speaking, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, mentioning, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers 
for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perfect man, that is, a mature believer, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth to the body for the edifying of itself in love. Every part has to do its share. We're going to be judged on this. Now turn to chapter 5, starting in verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Verse 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Philippians eight, uh, Philippians two, twelve through fifteen. I'm sorry. Philippians 2, 12 through 15. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation and among whom you shine as lights in the world. I believe that working out our own salvation with fear and trembling means we have to learn to die to ourselves, to give up having confidence in our flesh, and to have only confidence in the Spirit within us and Him who is directing us. And let Him come and live and do the things that were prepared for us to do before the foundation of the world in and through us. We don't have to do them. We have to surrender to Him and let Him do them in and through us. Amen. Philippians three, twelve through 14. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, 
forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, the things that are behind are where the devil tries to exert authority over you in your thoughts. But the things that are ahead, that are in the future, are a place that only God can be in. God exists in our future. The devil can only exist in our past. Good. Each individual moment of now is the present. But as soon as I say this, this is gone, it's in the past. Now, if I allow him to, the devil can take hold of that. Did God really say that? Don't who are you to be teaching a class? You you you, did, you were disobedient. You did this. You did that. You you just have to say, I'm not going to listen to you. I don't have to. I have more authority here than you do now. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Who are you? Remember that they said of Satan, is this the one who terrified the whole world? When they looked at him after he was utterly defeated. They couldn't even believe it. How could we have been so scared of that jerk? So, Colossians 4, this is the last one. Now, this is not exactly the way it is in the Bible. But if you will... When I was studying this years ago, the Holy Spirit told me to take verse 17, where it says, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it, and link and link it up with verse 12b, that says that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Take heed to the ministry that you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. To stand perfect and complete in God's will is to fulfill your ministry. What were the scripture verses again? Colossians 4, 17 and 12b. So now, believers filled with the Holy Spirit are doing the things that Jesus did. Man is back in fellowship with God and right standing with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. <coughs> Healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead. We continue recovering dominion on earth from Satan. Acts 3.16 and 5.12-16 are verses that testify about that. And the earth is being restored to a perfect environment. We read all creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God in Romans 8, verses 18 through 21. So those are the three tracks. Jesus did his part. Now it's up to us. Amen. We're going to talk, start talking much, much more about the kingdom in the next lesson and what the Bible says about the kingdom. I'm only going to use Scripture to teach you this next part about the kingdom. It's not my opinion. It's what the Bible says. Amen. So if anybody wants to argue about it in the future, argue with God. He's the one who wrote the Scripture, not me.
<laughs> Thank you, Lord, for this class and for these students. And I, I see the hunger in their eyes and in their questions, and I'm, I'm so grateful, Lord, that, that you're raising up people to um, fulfill their ministries and do your will on earth as it is in heaven. And it's in people such as these that your kingdom is going to come and your will is going to be done. May it be so even now. Pour out your glory. Pour out your Holy Spirit in a measure we've never seen before, Lord. And let no one who's born again and believer be left behind, but everyone be touched and filled in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Just to remind everybody, tonight's event...